The epistle lesson this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for Jesus, we rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel appointed for this the second Sunday after Christmas is taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, the second chapter, beginning at verse 40. Glory to you, O Lord. And this text will also serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. And as the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, the Lord's favor was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year of the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son... Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this message this morning is from the gospel reading that I read to you a few moments ago. But at this time, I'd like to highlight these words to you once again, this time reading from the New International Version. 
After three days, they found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord incarnate, dear fellow worshipers of him. Being a 12-year-old boy might be about the most awkward age in a youngster's development. I mean, there's the cracking of the voice. There's the facial hair, maybe the fuzz under the nose that begins to, to form. There's the body odor that suddenly this young lad begins to notice. There's growth spurts. There's kind of a growing sense of independence. A 12-year-old boy is not only adjusting to the embarrassing pangs of puberty, but brain changes prompt all kinds of impulsive decision-making and fluctuating mood swings. Yes, 12-year-old boys can really be struggling in life. And it's this 12-year-old boy, Jesus, that we meet in our text for this morning. St. Luke gives us a little snapshot into Jesus' life. I mean, in one week, he's a toddler, and the next, he's a tween. And after this episode, we won't hear of Jesus again for another 18 years or so. It's not by accident that St. Luke reports this story. The twelfth year in a Jewish boy's life is a crucial turning point in that little boy's life. The twelfth year is the final preparation for a lad before he enters into full participation in the religious life of the synagogue. Up until this time, his parents, especially his father, is the person responsible for teaching him the commandments of the law. But in the twelfth year of his life, the child goes through a ceremony by which he formally takes on the yoke of the law, known as the bar mitzvah, which is translated as the son of the commandment. And so Jesus is experiencing a very significant year in his life as a Jewish boy. And it's during his twelfth year of life that Jesus chooses to stay behind in the temple. Now, there's a lot going on in this text. And we'll only be able to look at a few of these things. But first, as Jesus assumes the yoke of the law, as he goes through his bar mitzvah, so to speak, he acknowledges his unique relationship with God. After anxiously, even painfully, searching for their son, their lost son, for three days, Mary is exasperated. And when she finally comes upon Jesus sitting in the temple, she scolds him. I mean, can you imagine reprimand, reprimanding God's son? And yet she says, Son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I, Joseph and I, have been anxiously searching all over the place for you. Now listen very carefully, if you didn't do so the first time, as to how Jesus responds to his mother. These are his first recorded words since his birth. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Did you hear what Jesus suddenly did there in those words? Mary refers to, Je- jo- to Joseph as Jesus' father. And Jesus, in replying to his mom, it identifies God as his father. In fact, Jesus refers to God as my father. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Or didn't you know I needed to be in my father's household? A pious Jew might refer to God as our father, but not as my father. And yet Jesus understands, even at a very early age, his unique relationship with his heavenly father. It's a relationship none of us else have. Jesus is, as the angel said, the Son of the Most High. He is, as the angel said, the Holy One to be born, who will be called the Son of God. He is, as John writes in the Gospel of John, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He is the one who has made him known. And Jesus is, as we heard in the epistle reading for Christmas Day, the exact representation of God's being. Yes, Jesus understands that he has a very unique and special relationship as the only begotten Son of the Father. Now, Jesus is not dismissing the importance of Joseph's influence in his life or showing a lack of appreciation for his stepfather, but at the age of 12, Jesus is very much aware of his eternal only begotten sonship with God his Father. Second thing we see in our text is that whereas most 12-year-olds are still grappling with the realities of puberty, Jesus is very much aware of his purpose and mission in life. He's dumbfounded when Mary comes to him and says, we've been searching all over for you. It's like, he says, well, didn't you know? I mean, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? For Jesus, it's kind of self-evident, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is alluding to his future passion and resurrection in that holy city. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, mom, why would it take you and Joseph three days to find me? Like, why in the world? I mean, why wouldn't you have looked for me first in the temple instead of last in the temple? I mean, this is where I'm supposed to be. It is necessary for me to be here. It's my destiny. I'm the Savior. I'm the son of David. I'm the king of kings. I'm to establish my kingdom forever. I'm to reveal my heavenly father to you and to the world. Yes, Jesus clearly understood what his mission and goal and purpose in life was. And that brings me to the third point. It's interesting that Luke talks about 
Jesus' time in his 12th year during the season of Passover. That's what they were doing in Jerusalem, wasn't it? They were celebrating the Feast of the Passover. Now, what's significant about the Feast of the Passover? Well, the Passover takes us back into the book of Exodus when it was that God came to the people of Israel and he liberated them from the Egyptians. And you may recall that one of the things that God told them to do was to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorposts of the house in which they were residing and and God would pass over, or the angel of death would pass over that, that home and those people in that place would be spared. The firstborn would not die. And the Jewish people had observed the feast of the Passover for years and years and years since that time. And during that feast of the Passover, they always looked forward to the fact that there would be a lamb slain someday for the sins of the world. And they would even, during that ceremony of the Passover, kind of look forward. They'd send a child outside. He'd look, poke his head out the door and he would look around and then he'd come back and they'd say to him, have you seen the Messiah? And he'd say, no, he's not here yet. And that was the feast that Jesus and his parents were celebrating in his 12th year. They had gone down to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover feast. And of course, as I'm talking, you can probably see all kinds of the connections between the Passover feast that as Jesus celebrated as a 12-year-old and then the Passover feast that he is. For you see, it's only about 18 years later, maybe about two decades later, that Jesus is again in Jerusalem. And this time he's observing the Passover feast with his disciples. And what does he say? Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. This is the blood that I will shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, Jesus recognizes later on in his life, or not just later on in his life, even as a 12-year-old, that he is the Passover lamb. He is the one who will shed his blood so that the sins of all people might be forgiven. And so even as he is in Jerusalem on that day, as a 12-year-old, he's looking forward and he says, Mom, don't you realize that this is my lot in life? It is necessary for me to be in my father's house, to be about my father's business so that the salvation of the world might happen. And so as a 12-year-old, Jesus has a great self-awareness. He realizes he has this eternal relationship with his heavenly father, that he's the only begotten son of the father. And he also recognizes that his goal and purpose in life is to be the savior of the world, to be the king of kings. But it's also interesting that as we look at this text, we see that Jesus is very much a 12-year-old boy. I mean, Jesus is inquisitive like a 12-year-old. He's asking questions of the teachers as he dialogues with them. He has a mind of his own like a 12-year-old boy. He decides on his own to stay back in Jerusalem and doesn't think about telling his parents that this is what he's going to do. He has an innocence about himself in this text where it's like, Mom, what have I done wrong? Really? What are you so angry about? And Jesus, we see, is obedient like a 12-year-old. He goes with his parents back to Nazareth. And he remains there until God, his father, calls him into the public ministry. And we're told in our text that Jesus, like a 12-year-old, continues to grow in wisdom. He continued to learn and grow and develop as a tween into a young man. And finally, into adulthood. 
Yes, Jesus is God. But he is also very human. And Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. As we hear in Hebrews chapter 2, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those all who their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And so Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, recognizes that he is fully God, fully human, sent on a mission to destroy the work of the devil so that he might also make atonement for our sins with his own death on a cross. Jesus is omniscient, and yet he continues to learn. Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful, and yet he has to go through the cycle of puberty like any other 12-year-old. Jesus is the ruler of all, and yet he is obedient to his parents. Jesus is God in the flesh, and yet he is the servant of all. Jesus is eternal, and yet he will die for us. We may be weary of having children paraded before us so they might lecture us on important life issues. But Jesus is one 12-year-old we want to listen to when it comes to life advice. St. Luke tells us that everyone, including the teachers of the law, marveled and were amazed at Jesus' understanding and his answers as he chatted up doctrine with these religious elite. Now, there are probably many life lessons that we can learn from this 12-year-old Jesus, but here are three that I've lifted up out of the text. And Jesus teaches us not only by what he says, but how he actually lives. He says in our text, Do you not know that I need to be about my father's business? You see, because Jesus knew who he was and is, it also added clarity for what he was to do here on earth. He is not one time God and another time man. It's not like he switches his deity on and off or he switches his humanity on and off. No, Jesus is always fully man and he is always fully God. And he knew that because of this, that he had a mission to do. He knew that it was necessary for him to be in his father's house and accomplishing his father's work, the work that his father had sent him to do, which is our salvation. And really, when it comes down to it, the same question is for us, too. Do you not know I need to be about my father's business? Oh, I know we are not Jesus, not implying that. But you may recall that I spent about six weeks prior to the Christmas season, answering the question, who am I? Who are we? Because you see, that is fundamental to everything that we do in our life. If we understand who we are, 
then it adds clarity to why it is that we live here on earth and what we do with the life that God gives to us. And so who are we? Who are you? Well, in the epistle lesson, we have these beautiful words written by St. Paul. And I've just lifted out some of the key ideas that he raises in Ephesians chapter 1. He says in those words that we are chosen. Chosen of God even before he created the world. Ponder that one for a moment. He says that we are holy and blameless in God's sight. Paul says that we are sons and daughters by way of adoption. Paul says that we are redeemed, that we're saved by virtue of the blood Jesus shed. He says that we're the benefactors of God's lavish love, which he pours out on us daily. He tells us that we're the beholders of the long-held mystery that has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ and in his holy word. And we have the privilege of sharing that word, that mystery, with others. He says that we are the vessels of the Holy Spirit who lives in us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, that's who we are. And when we understand that we are God's chosen, that we are his holy and blameless, that we're his adopted sons and daughters, and that we are the benefactors of God's lavish love, and so on and so forth, it gives us understanding of why it is that we're here on earth and what we're to do with our lives. Just yesterday, Pastor Vance Pittman tweeted, everything about the Christian life is to be lived throughout the overflow of the relationship with him. Everything about the Christian life is to be lived throughout the overflow of the relationship with him. You see, the relationship that God has established with us influences everything that we are and everything that we do. The, inf- the relationship God has established with us influences what we believe. It influences the way that we see life. It influences what we value. It influences what we collect. It influences our behavior. And we see that in the life of Jesus too, don't we? And that brings me to the second lesson. And that is that we see that Jesus himself was a servant, obedient. As I was pondering this text, it really struck me that I often speak about Jesus' obedience in terms of him keeping the law perfectly like we could never. I speak about his obedience as even obedience to death on a cross. But I don't know if I had ever really thought about his obedience in terms of just waiting. Jesus' Obedience in waiting. I mean, at the age of 12, Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. I must be in my father's house. It's a a divine necessity that I be here. And then we go for another 18 years before Jesus actually appears on the scene again. (laughs) And as I was picturing this, it's not in the scriptures, so it's just me hypothesizing. But I can just picture... You know, age 13, Jesus talking to his Father in heaven. Father, is it time? No. Age 14, 15, Father, is it time for me now? No. 
but I need to be about your business. It's not time yet. And you just imagine that as the years go by, Jesus is waiting and waiting and waiting. He's waiting on his father to send him out to be in that public ministry. And it's not until about the 30th year of his life that finally he says, God, Father, is it time? Yes, it's time. Go and make your appearance before John the Baptist. Jesus is that dutiful son. He's the obedient son, even as he waits on his father to finally say, yes, now it's time for you to go about my business. And then he goes about the business. And yes, he's the obedient son in that he obeys the law like you and I could never obey. And yes, he's the obedient son in that he goes all the way to the cross. He's obedient unto death on a cross so that you and I might live in God's lavish love and forgiveness each and every day. And all the time he's also obedient to his own parents, his earthly parents. He continued to be submissive to them even though he is God in the flesh. And by his life, by his own example, there's an example for us to be obedient. To be obedient even as we wait for the Lord to maybe answer a prayer in our life. To, to wait in obedience to the Lord when we just long for him to grant us healing and he doesn't. To wait on the Lord when we pray for the salvation of someone else and those prayers seem to go unanswered. To wait on the Lord when we're praying or hoping for a new job, a new opportunity in our life or for the opening of a school to invite us to become a student in their, in their, in their school and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait for the Lord to answer and we wait in obedience. And yes, we might even wait or show our obedience, I mean, in terms of being obedient to those who are placed in authority over us. So children... To obey your parents. To obey the teachers that have been placed in authority over you. For us to obey those who are in authority over us, even as adults. People that are our bosses. People who are our governors. People who are our leaders of the nation. For us to obey them. To honor them. To respect them. Unless, of course, they tell us to do something contrary to the word of God. But there's a third lesson that we can learn from this 12-year-old. Not only about obedience but also about growth in wisdom and stature. It strikes me that here is Jesus, yes, both holy man and holy God, but he never stops growing. He never stops learning. He continues to study the scriptures, even though he's all-knowing. He never stops attending worship. He continues to frequent the synagogue. He continues to observe the Passover, he continues to observe all the religious rites as a Jewish person would. And it tells us in our text that he grew over and over and over again intellectually as a mature person. And there's a lesson in that for us too, isn't there? Should we ever really stop growing? Is there ever a time that we should just set the Bible aside and think that we know it all? Is there a time when we should make it a habit of not attending worship regularly? 
Jesus' life example would seem to suggest that it's extremely important for us to continue to study the Word of God on a daily basis, for us to be frequent, maybe every Sunday, in worship, for us to continue to observe the festival seasons of the Christian church, because by these the Holy Spirit enables us to grow as his people. If you're thinking about making a New Year's resolution, then here's maybe one that you should pray or think about. Taken from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Sounds like a pretty good resolution, doesn't it? To make our own so that we might continue to grow in our relationship with our Lord. Well, we could go on with advice from a 12-year-old, life advice from a 12-year-old. It's more than advice, isn't it? Because when our Lord speaks, even as a 12-year-old, we listen because he's our Lord. Yes, we celebrate during the Christmas season that Jesus, that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his son, into this world to be our Savior. And we rejoice in the greatest gift of all, and that is the eternal salvation that is ours in Christ. And now as we enter into the season of Epiphany, we also rejoice in the fact that this Jesus will continue to instruct us and lead us and guide us as he sheds the light of his word onto our lives. And we see him manifested both as fully God and fully human, but one who continues to give his life for us and who continues to lead and guide and direct us in the way that we can be the lights, his lights, in this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray that he'll continue to help us grow throughout this coming year. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.